Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Chat About It. My name is Jessica, and I'm here to have some informal, casual conversations around mental health, and hopefully educate you along the way. Today I have Tasha with me, and we're going to explore the different ways to treat borderline personality disorder. Kasha and I officially met in high school, I guess, but we have recently started working together and reconnected that way, which is really neat. And I wanted you to share what is your link to mental health? My link to mental health, that is an interesting question. And I didn't expect it to be so complex. I'm doing my master's in counseling psychology. So I guess Mm. there's one link there. Also, since we do work together, we both work for the Canadian Mental Health Association. There's another link there. But I guess the most dominant link is just my own experience with mental health. I mean, I won't go into it, but I've definitely had my own experiences with it and have struggled and needed treatment and continue to go to therapy. So I guess my link is is academic, it's professional, and it's also personal. Yeah, pretty holistic. Or yeah. like a, f- a full package. Yeah. <laughs> and we've kind of, I think we briefly touched about this just in conversation, but do you think your experiences with mental health sort of led to that being your academic and professional interest, or did it grow at the same time? It actually grew at the same time. Like, as you know, I'm sure, you know, many mental health disorders kind of uh, expose themselves, I guess, for lack of better term, you know, in kind of like your early adolescence, teenagehood, you know, 18, 19, 20, especially with things like depression, anxiety, things like that. So I was always interested in mental health. I remember being in grade six and doing a presentation on psychiatry just because I found it interesting. I know. That's so cool. (laughs) A weird topic for a, I guess, 11 year old to but So I've always been interested in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I ended up really liking biology in grade 12. But biology in grade 12 is actually just a lot of talking about the brain as well. And which is a pretty quick link to psychology. And then the more I started to learn about it, I started volunteering at the peer support center. And Mm -hmm. from there, it was almost like at the same time as volunteering, I started to feel depressed and anxious and all Mm -hmm. these things started to happen. And so it was like my academic interest in psychology and mental health was always there. Mm -hmm. But then life happened and... I started to experience my own issues and then the two just kind of came together. Mm -hmm. I find that I actually had a very similar journey to yours where the interest was always there and Mm -hmm. something about university where all of these issues that were sort of lying, um, I don't know a good expression for this, but I guess kind of like in the background of your brain kind of present themselves and and, and make themselves (laughs) known and you're like, oh, I got to I got to do something about this. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're lying dormant and there's this and then the environment happens and they just Mm -hmm. press all these little buttons, I guess, that you have and you're like, whoa, this is happening now. Yeah. And it's really wild to like look back and kind of see how they may have presented themselves when you were younger, but you just didn't really know. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know. I always felt like I was such a happy-go-lucky, like younger kid Mm -hmm. and so bubbly. I wonder sometimes if like that understanding of myself led me also to just repress certain feelings and certain yeah. until you couldn't anymore. Mm-hmm. 
No, I, I definitely, I agree with that. I, where you kind of just force yourself to be positive and happy. <laughs> expectations of yourself mm-hmm. or like family's expectations mm-hmm. or just what we think we're supposed to be. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> sooner or later, you can't run from it. No. You know, one of the ways to take care of your mental well-being is to practice self-care. And I was wondering, given the confines of quarantine and the pandemic, how are you practicing self-care during this time? Initially, it was just sleeping a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is self-care, but I was sleeping It's rest. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so about a year ago when my anxiety was really bad, I found the one thing that really helped was exercise. Mm-hmm. So now, unfortunately, with all the gyms being closed, that's hard. Um, Mm -hmm. But I started running outside, which is good. It's Mm -hmm. good for my mental health, but actually it, uh, it really hurts my knees and my back. Oh, no. So, So I'm trying to figure out how to exercise well respecting what my body needs as well but Mm -hmm. it seems my body needs exercise so yeah i'm figuring it out okay definitely an ongoing journey to figure out what works best for you am i allowed to ask how have you been taking care of yourself oh actually i don't think anyone's ever asked that um okay (laughs) that is a good question i've been trying to implement rest i actually have a lot of trouble with sleeping so i've been trying to improve my sleep hygiene especially since you know i'm home all the time it's a little bit easier to put those things into play so i put a lock on my phone So I don't look at it at certain times. I can just sleep and just trying to figure out all those different things. What else have I been doing? I've been trying to practice as well self-compassion. I find that I've been really hard on myself expecting to do all these different things while in quarantine. So just kind of trying my best to sort of refocus on what I can do right now and to listen to my body and listen to my mind and not be so mean. That's kind of what I'm doing (laughs) for self-care. Yeah. I love that. Mm. Self-compassion is, I feel like it, I mean, it's probably a whole other topic for a whole podcast. (laughs) Self-compassion is, uh, it's really interesting. And how many of us just have that awful internal voice just telling you how crappy you are Mm -hmm. like wow we are a lot of us anyways I won't say everyone but I think a lot of us are really bad at treating ourselves kindly with any Mm -hmm. sort of compassion yeah and it's really unfortunate because I think most people who do have this sort of internal talk that's not not so nice they wouldn't actually treat anybody in their lives that way so it's like why are you treating yourself this way so and it's so automatic. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. goodness, how did this come about? Yeah, sometimes I'm like, wow, can I chill? Like, <laughs> <stop that." gasps> holy crap, I'm pretty mean. Yeah, and also implementing rest in different ways. So I've been trying to take more social media breaks as well, because especially if everything going on, that can really be overwhelming. So just trying to like find rest in different aspects of my life. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know about you, but I find that social media is actually a great source of learning, a great source Mm -hmm. of information. But even if you're just looking at it to learn, it's so much information. Like how are you supposed to consolidate all these ideas and all this knowledge if you're not taking breaks from it? Yeah, I agree. Definitely. You know, you have to be intentional how you're using it and also, you know, tell yourself the information will be there. It, it won't go away. I just, it's okay to take breaks. Yeah, exactly. And also like what purpose is this serving? Mm-hmm. 
that's a really good question to ask yourself as well. Yeah, self-reflection. It's a it's a doozy. Yes. No, thank you for you know sharing all of that with us and for your question as well. Um, it's making me think I should probably do some more self-care, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> before this episode comes out, there will be one that's released about an individual talking about their lived experience with borderline personality disorder. And so I thought it'd be interesting to also talk about the different ways that one can treat it. And so I was hoping you guys kind of give us a brief review of what borderline personality disorder is and what sort of implications it has on your mental health. Borderline personality disorder, it commonly looks like, you know, not being able to regulate emotionally. Your relationships are very tumultuous. Mm -hmm. There's unfortunately a lot of chronic suicidality, um, really big fears of abandonment. And, you know, oftentimes it can look like someone maybe who is aggressive. That's what it can look like Mm -hmm. just because, you know, there's, there's a lot of feelings. Yeah. So borderline personality disorder, it's very complex, but based on what I've kind of read about it is a lot of it is rooted in trauma and um, attachment issues. So I guess for those who don't know with attachment issues, attachment theory was created by John Bowlby. And it essentially, it speculates that our most important attachments are the ones with our parents or the ones that are raising us in the first few years of our lives. And those relationships kind of act as a roadmap for how we form other relationships in our lives and how we view ourselves and how we go about getting our needs met. So Based on what I've read about borderline personality disorder, you know, a lot of these symptoms like lack of emotional regulation, you know, sometimes being aggressive or quote unquote emotional or, you know, having a hard time with relationships, a lot of it comes from a lack of attachment in childhood, or at least that's one theory of it. But Mm -hmm. it is definitely something that seems to be brought up in almost every paper I've ever read about borderline personality is just you know, the the importance of attachment and how attachment theory kind of informs borderline personality disorder. And it, it might be my own personal bias because I've always found attachment theory pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. No, I but, love attachment so, theory. <laughs> yeah, right? So, you know, I keep coming back to this attachment theory. And I remember, because before I was doing this program at the school I'm currently at, mm-hmm. I had started a master's of counseling at a different school. And I, I just didn't enjoy it there but one of the papers I wrote was um, it was a nature versus nurture paper and you had to argue one side for you know one disorder Mm -hmm. and so I was looking at nature versus nurture for borderline personality and you know the more I read about it of course there's like the genetic underpinnings and you know there's also just the neurological aspects as well that kind of act as predispositions for it but even just researching that paper it's like wow I almost see like no question nature versus nurture. It, it almost seems like nurture is really the make or break for mm-hmm. you know, if you end up developing these full symptoms of borderline personality disorder. And the thing with borderline personality disorder is that it really seems to come from childhood. Yeah. And so due to that, it's almost something, or at least it seems like is something that can really span over those really formative years, like in adolescence and then in early adulthood. I mean, because those years are so formative, mm-hmm. the development of borderline personality symptoms can really be indicative of essentially how the rest of your life progresses. Oh, wow. You know, for, I mean, 
I think every paper out there says early intervention. It is, but I mean, early intervention, it is key. Mm -hmm. It is key. So very interesting. Yeah. There's a earlier episode where we talk about adverse childhood experiences and how that is such a big predictor of dealing with a mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. It's really, really interesting, the impact of yeah. your childhood experiences. I think mm-hmm. people, I don't know if people realize that, and I think more, it needs to be paid attention to more and seeing how we can intervene, like you said, in those formative years. And I mean, one of the protective factors for borderline personality is being able to form secure attachments to other Mm -hmm. individuals. And I mean, genetic dispositions, there's not too much you can do about that, unfortunately, but Mm -hmm. you can help children to form secure attachments with other folks, maybe if their parents aren't providing them the care that they need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that's with a teacher, maybe that's, you know, just with someone in the community a neighbor who knows but yeah you know just yeah looking at childhood and whether these children's needs are being met can really inform essentially the rest of their lives which is pretty wild Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty wild I would say yeah and so that kind of dips into my next question which is what are the different ways to to treat or intervene with BPD? So BPD, I'm sure many have heard of it with dialectical behavioral therapy. Many would say that that's, I would say, a primary treatment of BPD. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will say that DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy, it really works. Um, It's really cool because it has um, kind of four different things it looks at. So it looks at developing mindfulness, developing interpersonal effectiveness, Mm -hmm. uh, developing emotional regulation. Um, And there's a fourth one that is currently escaping (laughs) my mind, but it kind of has these four tenets that it builds upon. And it's really interesting because a lot of it is about skills training. So about like how to regulate in the moment, you know, if someone is feeling very suicidal in the moment, like how to regulate, how to create safety within that. A lot of it is based on skills training, which is really cool. But the issue with DVT is that it takes like a year at least to have some sort of effectiveness. And for individuals, you know, who do have symptoms of borderline personality disorder, it can be hard to keep with it and have Mm -hmm. that follow through when there's so much else going on right or like if you feel particularly suicidal you know also that can be a huge barrier to sticking with treatment yeah and it's hard like therapy is hard all forms of therapy but asking someone to commit to a year of therapy when there's so many other things going on is it's really tough and therapy is not fun And, you know, one of the, I guess one of the aspects of DBT is that distress tolerance. I think that's the one I was missing. So it's being able to tolerate that distress that you're feeling and work through it. Mm-hmm. But when you're feeling particularly triggered, likely in therapy, mm-hmm. and then you're being asked to tolerate that distress, maybe without having a lot of time to practice those skills, it can be really tough to stick with it. Yeah. And so, I mean, DBT it was created by Marsha Linehan and she, you know, I'm reading kind of her uh, biography right now and she definitely seems like she had symptoms of borderline personality. Like she was very, very chronically suicidal, like 
lots of feelings of abandonment, you know, lots of tumultuous relationships. So definitely someone who would have met the criteria for BPD. And in her biography, she talks about how because she like was living in this hell, she wanted to create a treatment to help others come out of that hell. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like her whole reason for starting DBT. Yeah, I think that in and of itself, like her being the creator of this treatment just really shows and her own words is that she was living in hell. And when she was in a treatment facility that she actually really doesn't remember, she has very few memories of it. Mm-hmm. She said that she almost had like a, a voice from God telling her, you know, that you're gonna make it through and your mission in life is to help other people get out of their own hell. So I think although DBT is very effective and that is backed up by research, that it is absolutely effective, science proves it. I think also just having the creator of DBT be someone who went through the same journey is really impactful for anyone else who is mm-hmm. seeking treatment. And just knowing that, hey, this this does work mm-hmm. and you can, you know, these symptoms that you have, they, they can be in remission. Yeah. Um, and I know many mental health professionals, you know, in all areas shy away from helping folks with BPD because maybe you feel like you don't have the expertise to adequately treat them. And that's totally fine. I mean, that's kind of the point of referrals, you know, but Mm -hmm. when sometimes I think mental health professionals, they come from this viewpoint that treating BPD is impossible. And I think there were some research studies that said that even with extensive um, dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, that there's very little improvement made with symptoms of borderline personality. And I wholeheartedly disagree. And I have personally seen that that is just false. Mm-hmm. People can, you know, recover from BPD. This is not a life sentence necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it feels like that, I guess, opinion of mine is almost unpopular because yeah. there's still a lot of mental health professionals who say treating any sort of personality disorder is impossible. And how crappy is that if yeah. you go to treatment and everyone's telling you like, sorry, this is your life now. There's nothing we can do. Like, how awful. Mm-hmm. Also, your personal stance as a mental health professional, even though you do try your best to limit the amount of bias, if you think something's not going to work, I feel like that's going to influence how you're going through that treatment, if that makes sense. Well, exactly. And I think that's also, you brought up self-compassion before. I think self-compassion as a mental health professional is like just so crucial as well. Mm -hmm. And analyzing and examining yourself and how your own viewpoints can inform how you treat someone and when you are burnt out and when you are doing harm to someone, even unintentionally. Because as we know, impact is the major thing over intent, like impact over intent. I guess my ultimate stance is that BPD is treatable. I think dialectical behavioral therapy is great. Although, I mean, there's also you know, other methods of treatment, um, like psychodynamic therapy has mentalization based treatments. Okay, what does that mean? So with mentalization based treatments, it this is not something I'm overly familiar with, I won't lie. But essentially, with attachment theory, we can have internalized 
object relations. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, those object relations helps you to understand what is safe and what is not safe. Mm-hmm. And under a psychodynamic lens, basically the therapist is supposed to serve as creating a new object relation where they are finding a new space that is safe. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then help the client almost to rebuild that feeling of safety and security. So actually, mentalization-based treatments with psychodynamic actually also have some things really similar with attachment theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're seeing patterns. (laughs) We are seeing patterns. But also, um, because psychodynamic theory, you know, it does still have those classic things of transference where the client transfers onto the therapist. Mm -hmm. With psychodynamic theory and treating BPD, one of the things is also having the client transfer onto the therapist to help address that emotional dysregulation. So kind of just like putting that on the therapist Mm -hmm. and then working through it that way. Okay, Um, interesting. Yeah, if that makes sense. I'm not overly confident with psychodynamic theory and treating BPD because it's not something that I am overly interested in. But there's still research articles that say like it it definitely has improvements with BPD for sure. Mm -hmm. I thought we were wanting to avoid transference in therapy, but with this, you you want it to happen. It's almost like maybe not avoiding it, but if transference happens, mm-hmm. then you just use that in a productive way to address oh, okay. that like emotional dysregulation mm-hmm. that is being projected onto the therapist. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then like once you see that happening, happening, it's like digging into why that is happening and where mm-hmm. did that come from. So it's still very psychodynamic in that you're really like digging deeper into the levels and like looking at childhood and looking what's under the consciousness mm-hmm. and then just bringing that to light in an aim to kind of understand those behaviors and how to change those behaviors. Okay. Nice. That's interesting. Is there any other way they can treat BPD? Um, honestly, DBT is kind of like the, the giant, you know, yeah. like predominant way of treating. And, you know, DBT is under cognitive behavioral therapy, but even like the triangle of CBT, so like cognitions, beliefs, and behaviors, mm-hmm. that triangle, it's also something that can be used in DBT as well. If okay. people don't have a year long to go to like skills training groups and then go to individual therapy and mm-hmm. do all the things associated with DBT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like you mentioned earlier, therapy is definitely a lot of work and I think it's important to go into it with the mindset like okay yes I do have to work but the payoff will be worth it in the end because I think a lot of people can make the assumption that therapy will fix your problems right away but Mm -hmm. I like to view therapy more as a a learning process it's it's a way to learn about yourself and to learn about the tools that you can use in the future so it's ongoing work that you'll, you'll have to commit to yeah exactly And when you look at it that way, I think sometimes clients, you know, with all sorts of different, you know, challenges that they come in wanting to address, I think sometimes we'll put everything onto the therapist. Mm -hmm. Like you have to fix me and you have to do this work. But at the end of the day, like you as a therapist or mental health professional actually can't be working harder than the client. Mm -hmm. And it sucks, but honestly, therapy's worth it. (laughs) But it's going to be a lot of emotional labor. That's not going to be fun when you're doing it. No. Not at all. Uh-uh. But 
definitely worth it in the end. Not to like just plug dialectical behavioral therapy. No, it's okay. Go for it. <laughs> there's there's four parts to it. So you have the individual therapy where you're one-on-one with your therapist, but there's the where you actually learn those tangible skills. It's actually in a group setting. And then along with that, you also can have like phone coaching. So like the main therapist with the client, if the mm-hmm. client needs it, it's, you know, like 10 p.m. They can have phone coaching with the therapist. And then also actually, because there's usually a team of therapists, you know, some running the group skills yeah. therapy and then some doing the individual therapy. And um, there's actually also like therapists themselves have their own like group debriefs, like team meetings about oh how to help the individual. That's Um, really interesting. Yeah, it's awesome, I think. Mm. I like that there's an individual component and a group component too. And it's really great because, you know, again, because chronic suicidality is is a big thing with BPD, um, the telephone coaching is actually really helpful with that. Like you're Mm -hmm. in the moment, like you're really suicidal, maybe there's some self-harm going on. Mm -hmm. But because part of DBT is having that telephone coaching, you know, there is a therapist you can reach out to. And it's not going to be like an hour long session like therapy, but it's almost like a crisis intervention. Like how do you safe right now. So yeah, it's great. And because there's also that aspect of the professional team having their own meetings as well, the whole aim of that part is just to make sure that everyone is okay, no one's burnt out, and Mm -hmm. how to help ensure that the therapists are really following DBT and acting ethically, honestly. It's really cool. I feel like that should be implemented in more aspects of therapy or modalities I should say yeah I really enjoy it I mean again it's a lot of work there's you know so many different aspects to DBT but I think it's really useful and productive because there's so many aspects to it because Mm -hmm. again BPD it's really complex and I think with a complex disorder it kind of makes sense that there's a complex treatment Mm-hmm. to address all the different aspects. No, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I feel like I learned so much. I haven't had much exposure to DBT except for by name before this. So mm-hmm. this was really, really informative. And I was just wondering, are there any major takeaways that you want our listeners to leave? Well, I guess not leaving, but <laughs> to take <laughs> away from this episode. I think mostly it's just know that having symptoms of borderline personality disorder and even having a full diagnosis, it's not the end of the road. You know, it, it will be challenging, that's for sure. But all therapy is challenging and it is treatable. Mm-hmm. And although I love DBT, I do really think it's really effective and it's proven to be effective. There's different treatments for it. And also each therapist will have their own approach. Mm -hmm. And I think mostly it's like, don't give up. There's definitely treatment. There's definitely a way to get out of the quote unquote hell, as Marshall Mm -hmm. Linehan said. And it's going to be an arduous journey, but you're definitely going to make it through to the other side. No, that's awesome. Thank you so much for jumping on this episode and sharing all of your your experiences and your wisdom with us. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. No problem. Thank you for having me. And I'm definitely not an expert and I'm also just learning, but I really like BPD. I think Mm -hmm. 
is very interesting and folks with ED are amazing Mm -hmm. and just wonderful individuals and any chance to talk about it I am (laughs) I'm always here for it (laughs) yeah I think definitely folks with CPD they need more advocates in their corner and more people who are supporting them just due to the stigma that's kind of present so that's great to hear I'm ready I'm ready to fight for them yes Well, that's it from me. If you want to keep the conversation going, please email me at lcaipodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter or Instagram, again, at lcaipodcast. I'm happy to answer questions, comments, concerns. Just let me know. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in a couple of weeks.